You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Galatians 4, starting in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as the Then the child was born as a result of the flesh, persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit. So also now. What does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rob, and praise team for leading us to sing about a lot of really good truth and to read the good truth that may not be understood at first reading. This is a complex, complicated message um, Pastor John MacArthur once said about this text, no one would voluntarily preach that text. Uh, you have to sort of be forced into it. And we, what we do at our church is we preach through verse by verse, through passages of Scripture, through books of the Bible. And so we are forced into this text. And um, it's a shame that we see it that way because there's so much richness here. In fact, just to be honest, about three weeks ago, knowing we were heading into this text, I remember in this room, because I'll come into this room during the week and I'll pray and walk and just kind of just spend a lot of time in prayer for every Sunday, and I remember telling the Lord, Lord, I do not want to preach this text. I don't know how to organize it. I don't know what to do. And oh, and that just opened up. When we are weak before the Lord and just admit where we're weak, He says, okay, I'm going to show you things you've never seen before and he did and this is a good text so what we're going to do today and how we're going to organize this weekend next week um, we're going to first of all look at what is Paul's goal with this illustration that he uses here this is an illustration that he pulls from a real story of something that really happened in the book of Genesis and he turns it into allegory it's not allegory because it really happened a true story, but he uses it as an illustration. So why? What's his goal? So in order to do that, we need to recap the story. We're going to spend some time talking about what really happened there. 
in Genesis 12 through 16 and all that. But we're going to ask ourselves today, what's the main question here? What is it that he's asking the Galatians? What is it that we should be asking ourselves? And why does it matter for us? Why did it matter for them? Why does it matter for us? We're not going to unpack that completely today. We're going to set it up for next week's message which is really what Paul is doing here when he's using this illustration. He's leading them to chapter 5 and 6. In chapter 5, verse 1, we see where he's leading them to for freedom. Christ set us free. For freedom, Christ set us free. We're building up to that to next week. So today, if you're a guest and you don't know how we do things, uh, don't be scared away by what we do today. Today is we're digging deep, and here's what our prayer is, that on Sunday you come and you get some real big meat, and you just eat, and then you go to your community groups and you digest. Okay, like you work it into your life, you talk about it with other people, you explore, how did you hear this, or what are you hearing, okay, how are you applying this, what do you need to be aware of based on what we ate on Sunday, and so let's eat this scripture up. What is Paul's goal with this text? He tells us right away, it may not sound very clear what his goal is, but listen to what he says in verse 21, tell me, you who want to be under the law. Don't you hear the law? He's saying, I don't know if you understand fully what you're saying you want to be doing. So I'm going to unpack it for you with this illustration. Remember, Paul is throughout Galatians, he is telling them that he cannot believe, that he is shocked, he is just (coughs) sorry, dumbfounded that they are going back to adding to grace, that they have been saved by grace through faith, and these people have come behind them and have added to it. Now, here's what's going on with the Galatians. The Galatians must have felt like sort of spiritual or religious orphans. They began, and they were once pagan in their background. They were non-Jewish people. They were Gentiles. They sort of were operating on their own by themselves. And then the grace, the message, the gospel, the only gospel came. And Paul brought it and the people brought it and they received it, accepted it. They said, yes, we want to follow Jesus. Yes, we, he's all we need. Yes, we want to be saved by grace through faith. And then those people moved on and out along came these false teachers these Judaizers, these people of Jewish descent who practiced Jewish law, and they were coming in and they were saying, okay, that is really good. Congratulations, you heard the gospel, you heard about Jesus on the cross, he paid for your sins, that's great, but you're not one of us yet. You're still an outsider until you add to the gospel. You have work to do. Galatians, there's more to do. You now need to help God's work be done in your life. You need to perform certain rituals or acts so that you can feel the sense of freedom that God intends for you to have. So Paul is in a way solving for them this religious identity crisis. And he's doing it with this illustration. Well, 
How does this illustration solve that? Well, let's recap the story. In verses 22 through 26, Paul tells them, he reminds them of the story that it it sounds like they had already heard this. They were already aware of this. And he, he reads this to them. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave woman was born as a result of the flesh, while the one of the free woman was born through promise. That's important. These things are being taken figuratively, he says, for the woman represents two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. You got it? What is Paul doing here? The story is found back in Genesis 12 through 16 and on. And and what the story is, is that God chose, he called, and he launched Abraham and Sarah. He says, go west. I've got a plan for you. I'm going to do things in you that no one can explain, no one can describe. It's going to be miraculous every step of the way. I'm calling you, I'm calling you, I'm going to lift you up. And by the way, as I want you to believe me, that look up, see all the stars? As numerous as the stars, that's how your descendants will be. From you, and Abraham and Sarah, at this point, at the calling, were already old. I don't know the age of everybody in this congregation, but I think even at this point, they're already older than anybody that's here today. Don't be pointing fingers. Don't do that. So on the way of the mission, here's the plan I have for you. I'm going to do things through you that you can't do by yourself. It's going to be miraculous. So they go their way, their step by faith, they walk by faith. It's a credit to Abram as righteousness that he believes in God, and, but something happens. The years went by, they go on and on, and they begin to get antsy. We don't see any descendants yet. They're getting older and older. They start looking at their own ability, their own opportunities, and they're starting to lose that trust in the promise. So Sarah says to Abraham, hey, I've got this slave. Her name is Hagar. I want you to go make a baby with Hagar. God's promised this, but I want you to go and do this. So Abraham does this. Hagar significantly younger, so it makes sense for them. This is a way we can work it out. This is a practical way to do this. And so they go and make a baby. Abraham and Hagar, that baby's name is Ishmael. Years go by, they have Ishmael over here and Hagar, and then they have another baby that comes. This is the baby that is the fulfillment, because by this time, by the time they have Isaac, Abraham and Sarah were significantly older, like crossing the century mark old. Like, there's no way this should happen old. And God fulfills the promise, and they give birth to Isaac. Okay. That's the story, that's the illustration that God is using here. Paul is reminding the Galatians, and we are seeing here a comparison and contrast with the story. Hagar and Ishmael represent something. What do they represent? They represent a type of bondage, a type of slavery. Slavery to what? What Paul is saying here, they represent a type of doubt, a type of slavery to fear, a 
type of slavery to works-oriented righteousness. They represent us helping God do his work. Isn't that what Abram did with Hagar? Let's go help God fulfill his promise. Oftentimes we want to say, oh God, you're not doing it in our time and in our way, so let me put this into practice and then I will speed up your work. Then we have the story of Abraham and Sarah and what they represent. We have Sarah and Isaac. We've got Hagar and Ishmael over here, Sarah and Isaac over here, and they represent God's sovereign work. They represent the blessing. They represent the free gift. They represent, listen, this is important, they represent the miraculous. What God can do and nobody else can do. They represent God making possible what is impossible. They represent a picture of God's provision no matter the circumstances. They represent God's accomplishment no matter what we are or who we are. They represent his free grace no matter how much we've failed. Ishmael represents a type of slavery. A type of slavery to the best that we can do. A type of slavery to really good work and good effort. And Isaac represents freedom and grace. Ishmael, Hagar, represents what it means to be held down by laws. Being held down by natural things. Like running to an alternative plan like we all do. And Isaac and Sarah represents what it means to be held onto by God. Over here, representing us holding on to our plan. Over here, representing God holding on to his plan forever. One represents oppression, weakness, slavery, Ishmael. You got it? Okay. The other represents laughter. It's Isaac's name. It means laughter, fulfillment. And freedom. So Paul tells this story to the Galatians, to those who are suffering from this religious identity crisis. They were believing, they were saved by grace. And, and picture with me, it'd be like us planting a church in the far reaches of some western, southwestern part of China places where maybe the gospel has never come. And we come with the only gospel. We feel really good about what happened there. People uh, humbly repent. They fall on knees. They, they receive Christ. They're baptized. And we're like, yes, this is great. God is doing a work. We move on to the next village. And then here come some others tied to some other religious organization. Now, Jewish law wasn't bad. It wasn't complete without Christ, but it wasn't bad. But they were bringing, saying, you've got to add the law. It would be, and just this is what came to me, as if we moved out of that village in China. And here comes some staunch, rigid Southern Baptists. Now, this is good. They come in, they enter the village, they hear the story like, Wow. Man, this is crazy. This is, this is awesome. This is good. Okay, now here's what you got to do. Form your committees. Get your stuff in line. Okay, because now you're, if you don't do this right, 
It's all going to blow up. You got to do it right because you're not really like us over in America yet. We do this on the mission field all the time. We go in there and say, okay, this is great. It's good. You're saved. It's great. Now we got to make you do it like we do it. And we sort of reshackle them into works. One hand, you can hear the Galatians saying, they're telling us we have to do all this stuff. We don't know what this means. We didn't know we had to do all this stuff. And on the other hand, Paul, you're saying all we need is Christ. We're at this crisis. And so Paul tells them the story and says, you want to go back to doing works? You want to go back to the law? Here's what that looks like. It looks like Ishmael cast out. It looks like Hagar always enslaved. You want that identity? That's what it looks like. Or do you want to be free? So what's the main question that he wants them to be answering? What is the main question that we need to answer when we see a text like this? I want to ask it in a couple ways. How do you define or how do you describe your relationship with God? If somebody were to ask you, tell me about your relationship with God, how would you define it? How would you describe it? It's as if Paul's saying to the Galatians all throughout these four chapters, how do you define your relationship to God, your connection to Him? Using the story of Hagar and Sarah, we are led to consider how this will define our relationship. Do you define, do you describe your relationship with God by doing for Him or being with Him? Do you define or describe your relationship with God as I got to earn the right to be in His presence? I got to do this work. He, he doesn't want to talk to me the way I am right now. There's no way. I got to do this stuff. I got to work. I got to go to church five Sundays in a row and then maybe God will give me some blessing. Or is it earning a wage or is it receiving a gift? An undeserved gift. Would you describe your relationship with God as one in which you are always worrying, always fearful, always working, always wrestling? Or would you describe and define your relationship with God as one who's resting, who's hoping, who's enjoying God? Oh, it can be so subtle. It can be like, or we can be like those who, like Abraham and Sarah, where we say, well, we understand the truth of what God has done, but we need to help Him in order for us to really feel like God's done it. I wonder if you've ever suffered from some identity crisis, some religious identity crisis. Have you ever been in a place where, like, I don't really know where I am in all this because I grew up this way and I got this way. And then these people are telling me this, and then we're singing about that, and they, that sounds like a happy song, but I don't feel happy. It happened to me a little bit. It's a very small analogy, probably poor in some aspects, but this is the way it sneaks in. 2016 election. I'm not going to tell you how I voted, so don't even try to guess. 
But as a pastor, as a, as a child of God, as, as one who who's loves the task of shepherding sheep, uh, one who loves the task of, of leading my family, of one who loves the task and the, the mission that God has given me to help people, I am being told, and I'm just going to speak within a, our own denomination, on one side... I'm being told by people, how can you consider yourself a pastor or a Christian if you do not vote for Trump? How dare you? Um, Swing the pendulum all the way over. Most of the times it's the very next tweet. Somebody over here, same denomination, same energy, same passion, saying how can you consider yourself a pastor and a religious person, a Christian, somebody who follows God, and, and yet you will vote for Trump? You see the crisis that we do to ourselves? Why? What's at play here? We have linked the gospel to something that might be more sacred to us in our heart called nationalism. These Judaizers were coming behind them. They had presented the only gospel. They received the only gospel. They were satisfied. They were happy. They were rejoicing. And then these Jewish people came and saying, that's not how we do it. You've got to be this way to really enjoy being saved. You've got to add work to what you know. It really exposes what it is we worship in our country whenever we can say to people, you're not a Christian unless you vote this way. The gospel truth becomes secondary to us. It may not be the election. For me, that was sort of this weird ping-ponging as we had these theologians and authors telling us, vote this way, vote this way, vote this way, vote this way. And it just, it, it just horrified me. Why can't we just talk about the gospel? It's enough. I know there's big things, and tonight at Night of Prayer, we're going to pray for our country. We're praying for the disunity, and we're praying for all that. But when it comes to our role as Christian leaders, as presenters of the gospel, there is one saving message. That's what Paul is saying to them here. You don't need to add anything. If you add something, you're like Hagar. You're like Ishmael. One of these, we have two women, we have two children, we have two sites, cities, in this illustration. One is free and worship and adores God as the giver, the Savior, the Redeemer. The other is not free and worships man-made idols and self-help works. Which are you? That's the question we need to ask. What do you tend to fall into? Where's your identity in eternity or with God and your purpose of life? Would you consider yourself really free? Or do you find yourself being slave to, I gotta do more? Gotta work for God's approval? Are you driven by works or are you saved by grace? Are you a traditionalist? Are you somebody that says, God only works this way? He only does it this way. This is the only way that it's supposed to happen. Or are you somebody that says, structure will always submit to spirit because God is good and he might want to do things a different way. Do you value behavior? Or do you value undeserved mercy and grace? 
These are the questions and the purpose of this illustration that Paul's wanting them to ask. These are questions that we at Grace should be asking. Are we children of grace? Can we not contain our joy, what it means to be saved, even though we don't deserve to be saved? Or are we constantly on each other? You're behaving wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're, you get what I'm saying? Did I beat the illustration to death? You got it? Why does this matter? This is everything. Because it answers for us and for the Galatians three things. It answers for us what our lives are built on. It answers us where we launch from. And it will answer for us where we place our hope. Do you ever think about that? Your identity crisis is so important because it will drive what it is that your foundation is. If our lives are built on a system like Abram and Hagar, where we think we must always work to get God's approval or his blessings, then we're never going to be free because we're anchoring our freedom to something else man-made. If we build our lives on the law, what he's saying here, or on sacred acts or on traditional ceremony, we will most likely not be able to listen and appreciate God, including other people who might do it differently. We'd rather protect our tradition or our sacred acts or our structures. But if we build our lives on freedom, on the calling, on the only gospel, which is what we've been talking about for several weeks, we have sort of a a glad surrender, don't we? We will gladly say things like, I don't know what the structure is, but we're submitting to the Spirit of God in all things because we're free people. Our anchor is only in the gospel and what Christ did on the cross. It's anchored in truth so that we can honestly be a people that says things like, so help us God. What is your life built on? Does your religious identity crisis have you building on a foundation that's not strong? It's just on what your parents told you to believe or what some church told you to believe or what some sect or history books are telling you to believe? It matters. It also matters because it depends what we built on because that helps us launch well into life. Religious people people who want to work for their relationship with God, they launch from rules. They launch from laws. They measure holiness by action. And they want to conduct church life by behavior modification. Like, let's make sure everyone's behavior is lined up well. Their behavior is off kilt. Okay, then they need to go to this other church. Spiritual people or spirit-led people, people who are saved by grace, they know it. They launched from, instead of rules and laws, they launched their lives from undeserved mercy. And they know it. They launched from sovereign grace. They measure holiness not by rules and laws. They measure holiness by love of God and love for others. The two commandments that Jesus said. Religious people seek to use guilt and force to pressure and to convert other people to their way. That's what was happening here. They were guilting the Galatians. 
They were forcing them to the act of circumcision. They were forcing them to learn and know the laws in order to really be free. But spirit-led people are free. And they simply use stories of life change and of the gospel to spread the word. This is so important. It's everything. It's what we used to build our lives on. It's what we launch from. But it's also important because it shows us where we place our hope. To me, out of all the religions in the world, there is nothing that compares to the hope that Christians have. The promises that are given to us. The, the faith that we have and what He's accomplished and what He's done. If we are like Hagar and Ishmael, we place our hope in ourselves. That's the story of what happened with Abram and Hagar. Go and do this thing because we can control this. We can't control waiting on God. We place our hope in our accomplishments. And, and though that might feel free for a little bit, what happens when our weaknesses begin to take over? Our hope goes way down. We get down on ourselves. We think there is no hope because if it's left up to me, what I know, what I can work to do, then it's just a miserable existence. But if we hope in His promises, His actions, His love, His accomplishments, when our weaknesses creep in, our hope only rises up and say, yep, <laughs> that's why there's Jesus. Because I'm so weak, I'm so dirty, I'm so messed up, I cannot do it. I have to wait on the redemptive blood of Christ to save me. Oh, and He's done it through the cross. You see where the hope shifts? This is so important because if we place our hope in others, nationalism, religious connections, or ceremonies, or even heroes, then our joy will go as high and they'll go as deep as the best of those things. But if we place our hope in the one act that God so loved the world that He gave His Son, so that whoever believes, Gentile, non-Gentile, Circumcised people, non-circumcised people, Democrats, Republican. Don't read anything into where I place those things. It's all through Christ. And the promise and all of our hope is in and anchored in the one triune God, the Father who sent the Son, the Son who paid the price, and the Spirit who dwells in us. This is good news. This is just only part of what we want to unpack here. God sent His Son to save us. Jesus died on a cross, took the punishment for our sins, and He did what you could never do. He made us right with God. All your striving, all your work is like you going to make a baby with Hagar. It's you trying to do the work. You usurping God's plan. And God says to you, you don't have to do that. I've sent my son. It, 
It was a costly death. You are free. So what is your identity with God? How would you describe it? Free, enjoying, laughing, recognizing undeserved grace, or are you still working and striving for his approval? Let it go. I want you to bow your head and um, as we think on these things, I'm going to read through just sort of a compare-contrast list, and I just want you to think. I want you to first of all think, how is it and when does doubt about God or in God's work begin to creep into your life? How does it come to you? Is it through outside sources or is it something deep within I want you to listen and answer honestly. Are you a person of works or a person of grace? Are you somebody that thinks that doing for God is the way or being with God? Second-guessing God or are you assured of His great worth and love for you? Are you someone that's always striving but never satisfied? Or are you someone that's always rejoicing? Do you tend to have a lot of pride in your own accomplishments and yourself and what you can do? Or are you habitually humble before a loving, powerful God? Do you trust more in your ability? Or do you have hope? and faith in God's ability. The difference is everything. One is someone who does not believe in the only gospel. The other is somebody who gladly accepts and enjoys what it means to be saved by grace through faith. And oh, it matters so much. It matters in that it's what grounds us, it's what launches us, and it's what fuels us to hope. So I want us to pray and I want us to think about what it means and where we are as we move into chapter 5 next week. Father, I pray that you would write your word on our hearts. I pray, God, just as we had considered these things, that we would be people who joyfully understand and knows what it means that you have already paid for everything. I pray, God, that as we begin to sing, that you would lift up our heavy hearts if we tried to work for you, if we tried to do and earn your behavior and earn your rewards, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us, say, rest, my child. I've already paid for it all. And I pray, God, that our response would be to you, then you can have all of us. 
We love you, God. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our midst and in our lives. For your glory, your fame, we pray. Amen.